welcome back to The Bakery, everyone, where we break bread with the world's finest. Today, we're immensely privileged to be in conversation with Anna Lapwood, celebrated organist, conductor, and broadcaster. Anna is one of only four associate artists of the Royal Albert Hall, director of music at Pembroke College, Cambridge, and famous on TikTok for inspiring others through her passion for music and the organ. Anna, a big heartfelt welcome. I'm sure you're running a very busy schedule, so thanks for coming on. Not at all. Thanks for having me. And how have things been lately? Everything busy schedule or how are you doing? Yeah, I mean, start of term combined with launching an album. Um, it, it, it's not necessarily a thing I would like recommend putting into the same week, but it's it's been really, really fun. It's like the two bits of my job I love most all happening at the same time. Amazing. I mean, we'll we'll touch on the album very soon. We we both, Ollie and I both listened to it. Um, before we do, we wanted to ask you just like a little icebreaker, which we ask all our guests basically with a loaf podcast so we have this bread theme and this this branding going on so we ask all our guests what their favorite bread is we're wondering what your favorite bread is anna okay i don't know if this is like specific enough but i love the putty pan that you can buy from a supermarket that you cook yourself in the oven because it feels like you've cooked your own bread even though it's literally no effort at all <laughs> Brilliant. So, so get in between you can get the gratification you don't have to learn all those skills or anything yeah, the the only times I've actually tried making real bread, it's gone really, really badly wrong. So, yeah, I haven't dared, which is funny because it's the name <laughs> of our podcast, but I'm not very good at cooking. Anyway, obviously, the thing we have in common is we're currently Oxford students. You studied at Maudlin, so how did you find your time there? It was busy. I think it, like something that you don't necessarily like expect when you I mean you know it's going to be busy but it's really hard to explain to incoming students quite how busy it can be and you uh, you basically just like do eight weeks without really sleeping much and then I don't know if you guys you probably have the same experience right you basically don't sleep and then you get home and you just crash for the whole holiday yeah and it's the only way you can come back again and go with the same energy um so yeah I was doing uh, obviously the degree but also working as organ scholar so that was playing for chorister rehearsals every morning at 750 uh which was quite intense um and then playing for services every evening so it was like sort of a full-time job alongside the degree uh which was it it was incredible and it taught me so much in such a short space of time but it was really 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 intense yeah i remember seeing you talk about how you you kind of struggled at the beginning and then you managed to kind of get over that hurdle once you kind of put the right amount of work in before term and then you manage to really enjoy it. And I think that's a pretty common experience for musicians is that feeling of getting stuck at a certain level. And then, yeah. but once you push through it, it's amazing. I think it's that thing of like, sometimes things are really, really difficult. And sometimes that isn't your fault. Sometimes that is your fault or not fault, but it, you can do something about it. And I think it's really easy to tell ourselves, oh, everything is so hard. Um, and, and actually not be being honest with whether or not we're putting the amount of work in we should be putting in. And in my case, I sort of sat myself down and I gave myself what I call the Stanley Tucci talk from Devil Wears Prada, where he's like, are you really putting absolutely everything into it? Um, or are you kind of expecting someone else to uh, pat you on the head and tell you you're doing really well? Um, and I kind of realized that actually I could be doing more. Uh, and it was at that point that I really started to enjoy it when I did just like massively up my hours of practice uh, and just throw everything into being an organist for a couple of years yeah we had a similar experience with the podcast actually because when we launched it it was four of us just friends and every week we would on like friday night so we had we used to record on a saturday we'd all be like oh my god like what are we going to record tomorrow like we had no idea what to do but then once you start putting the work in it's yeah. similar 
but yeah but um just before we move on to talking about the album quickly just something funny about modeling college i don't know if you've heard of daniel dipper no he's he's a bit after your time it's just it's just funny he's just another well he's quasi famous maybe but musician he um He's big on the DJing at Magdalen College. He's quite well known for that. So I was just wondering if you might have heard of him, but I'm sure he'd appreciate the shout out. I confess, I did not spend much time in like DJ territory when I was an undergrad. And actually, I kind of like now I now I'm doing more kind of collaborations with electronic artists and things like that. I really wish I had, uh, but I was literally playing the organ the entire time. Yeah, I mean, but it looks like it's paid off in any case because we um we we both listened to luna which we abs- i i can't speak for Ollie, but i absolutely loved um amazing stuff and i i'm not a big i, I wouldn't say i would not say it but i'm not a very very big music person so analyzing mm. music it's not necessarily my thing but it's something i could i could like relate to in ways that i felt was quite accessible for something classical so grain moon for example i, I really enjoyed that one specifically it felt like little stars popping up and then, and then disappearing again it was it was beautiful and i i was wondering what the emotion is that you 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 put behind a song like that when you play is it melancholy is it or are you just focusing on technique or, or are you playing with a certain kind of emotion it's a really good question actually because i think for a long time when i was playing the organ i wasn't thinking about emotion it was just like worrying about playing the right notes and it, that that's that's a total different experience to every other instrument I played with the harp with the piano it was always like emotion driven and I think it's only more recently that I've started trying to look at the organ in the same way uh, and I think what I love about it is the fact that like emotions aren't simple things right they're not just like 2d simple to define concepts so if we're feeling sad it will be tinged with like a memory of happiness and maybe a bit of jealousy or a bit of anger. Or And so what I love about a piece like Grain Moon is it's all of those things swirling around in sound. So if I was trying to like put one emotion on it, I think I would put, oh my gosh, it's so hard. Like wistful, but also like a lovely nostalgia. It, because it, it changes, it morphs throughout the piece. So it's when it starts, it's kind of like, yeah, I guess maybe a little bit melancholy, but then it becomes brighter, more positive, and then it returns to that opening idea. And it's like the emotions changed, even though it's the same material. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it does make sense. I, I find it interesting because, I mean, I never really did the, the theory. Um, my my mom always said, okay, exams are too much stress. So she sent me to piano lessons. I did piano, but never the exams. It was the same with drums. Uh, so I, I can play them, but my theory isn't that that great. And I always felt that playing with emotion was one thing, but then the technique and the the real mm. specifics is something else. And I was wondering, where do they intersect? So if you have, for example, AI that could play the exact notes, but not have any emotion behind that, mm. can can you, for example, play beyond technique, if you know what I mean? Yeah, I think what we're all aiming for with technique as musicians is for it not to be audible, for the technical knowledge not to be like something that you are ever distracted by. Um, I guess the other way of thinking about it is to never be distracted by how difficult a piece of music might be, but instead just hear it as a work of art. Um, And that's when the emotions can then come to the fore because the music isn't kind of getting in the way. Does that make sense? 
that makes it's sense, like yeah. it's a it's a sort of vehicle for the emotions as opposed to kind of being something you have to battle through in order to put the emotions across um when it comes to ai i think it's particularly interesting with the organ actually because the organ isn't like a piano it's not like if you play a piano key harder it will sound harder if you play an organ key harder it will sound exactly the same uh right. so it, it's like it's, it's binary it's on or off so when you're talking about emotion in organ music, like thinking how that is put across is a really interesting thing because it's all just like differing degrees of like lengthening notes occasionally, shortening notes occasionally. So it is kind of like a mathematical exercise. Uh, so I feel like maybe the organ is going to be one of the first instruments that AI can kind <laughs> of successfully or ne maybe nearly successfully play with emotion um i hope that doesn't happen anytime soon and i hope you'll still be able to tell the difference but it would be interesting to to hear i think you're right the organ is a peculiar one as well as it relates to kind of technique and emotion because that's often the popular perception of it and you're working to change it is it's kind of both metaphorically and literally just massive so obviously yeah. it takes up a whole room but also people look at it and they see the three keyboards and think and and, and think it's super daunting so what would you say to someone in that case somebody who's scared to have a go at the organ, for example, because of the like technical, you know, um, complexity of it. I think the technical complexity is what means you can shake a building as one person. Like you compress a note down the lightest thing in the world and it can be immense and huge. And someone like the Albert Hall, if you if you're playing really, really like full organ, it punches everyone in the chest. It's not just like a thing you hear, it's something that everyone feels. Um, and I think, yeah, don't let the technical side of it put you off because that's something that you overcome in time. And it's part of the fun of it is feeling your brain kind of make all the connections and figure out how to move your feet at the same time as your hands and all of that stuff. And then it's just dancing with music. It's great. Yeah, you're right. It's just the insane range which it has, which I saw um, in Flying from Peter Pan as well when I was listening. When you pulled out a stop at a certain moment and it sounds like there's some flutes and then there's the deeper yeah. oboe bass. It's insane that it has all that encapsulated in one instrument. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it is literally an orchestra. It's like a, a lot of people talk about it as a synthesizer and say, oh, it's kind of the first synthesizer. And that, in a way, that makes a lot of sense because you have all the different orchestral colors to choose from you can be horns you can be trumpets you can be oboes clarinets bassoons strings and it's your choice how you mix all those colors together at any point in the piece to convey a certain emotion uh, and it, it's just i i always say this but it is like being a kid in a toy shop and you're just sitting there being like oh what can i do next <laughs> no it's great and what, what i feel is for what you're trying to do with the album, what I felt was great about the organ is there's this ability to to zoom in, but then zoom out again. So you speak about like the stars yeah. in Africa. You've got these these huge amount of stars, and then the 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 organ can go really really wide, and then you can go really narrow on, for, for example, maybe a specific star or or the land around you. And and I feel like that ability of of the organ to be barely there and barely audible, and then suddenly shake a room is is what makes it so special. I think that was an interesting thing from a recording perspective, actually, because how you record an organ is always a challenge, like where you put the microphones, um, when you're trying to record the quietest stuff and the super, super, super loud stuff, put them on the same album and make it make sense, like it's so that people aren't constantly having to turn the radio up and down and stuff like that. And so we ended up having to literally zoom in and zoom out with our 
recording the equipment and the microphones we were using. So we kept changing the mics depending on which track it was and what the kind of overall volume style character was. Uh, so yeah, I hope that there is that sense that sometimes we're standing back and looking at the enormity of the instrument and the world, the universe, the cosmos, and sometimes we are much closer and more intimate. Yeah, that's super interesting how dynamic you use the recording equipment, just because talking about the organ as an instrument, again, in terms of popular perception is quite a static thing. It's played in a very similar way. And I feel like with the album, you tried to smash that, uh, smash those kinds of perceptions. So would you say you were trying to broaden the understanding of like what classical music can be, or are you trying to move away from it and move away from the organ as a classical instrument? I think, I mean, I'm sort of trying to make the point that all organists are doing this. All organists are playing the whole spectrum of colours. Um, and it's just trying to draw attention to it via perhaps slightly more familiar music. So the film soundtracks, the kind of piano classics, Claire de Lune, Chopin Nocturnes, things that people will recognise from other areas of life and then be like, okay, you liked that on the piano. Now here's what it could sound like on the organ. Um, and kind of just bring people in via that and hope they stay for everything else. Um, in terms of trying to think about the organ as a classical instrument, I, I kind of, I'm enjoying more and more pushing it out of the classical world and doing collaborations with artists in other genres and kind of just pushing my own musical horizons a little bit further out. Um, and yeah, I guess any musical instrument isn't necessarily like a classical instrument. It can transcend all genres. It just depends what you decide you want to play on it as a player. I think I completely agree. One of the ways in which that people get that sort of perception is growing up playing instruments. Uh, certainly I learned the trumpet when I was younger. There's a huge emphasis on classical music and learning in the UK. Do you think shifting away from that focus in the um, curriculum could help people to maybe get more enthusiastic about music in the way that they do, for example, when they see your TikToks and see the broader range of, of ways which music can be used? I think just making, making sure we're showing like a balanced representative sample to, for example, like if the kid is learning the trumpet, yes, I think it's really important that they learn some of the classics, uh, but also like not being afraid to throw jazz pieces in there, not being afraid to let them say, oh, I love that dance track or whatever, and pick out the trumpet part and let them do it. Because I think I do, I see so many teachers doing that, actually. I think it feels as if things are like constantly evolving and constantly changing. And when you see a teacher just like listening to what a kid is saying and see how this kid loves that film soundtrack and they find a way to let the kid learn it, that's when you watch the sort of eyes light up and you think this is something that could stick with them forever as opposed to being something which they do because their parent is nagging them to practice and then stop when they get to university because life gets in the way, right? <laughs> Oh yeah, that's that's exactly what my musical journey was like, <laughs> unfortunately. But but in on the topic of parents, um, I was wondering, did your family and maybe I would say religious background influence your relationship with music, and and if so, how? I grew up listening to a lot of music. Um, my parents used to put on so many different things when I was a kid. We we had like Christian worship songs quite a lot. Uh, we had like quite a lot of classical crossover. My dad really loves kind of, um, he, he went through a phase of loving Vanessa May, a violinist, uh, um, Alla Jones, people like that. 
so we listened to that kind of thing a lot in the car. So I think I was I was brought up with like quite a an open idea of what classical music was. We didn't listen to that much that was sort of we didn't listen to any rock music or pop or anything. Not really. Mm, Robbie Williams, maybe. My dad loved Robbie Williams, but other than that, it was quite like classical but extended classical. Um, my dad he sang and played the violin. My mum played the guitar and she also sang. And they met in a choir. So it was a very like music supportive family. Um, but I think me just being like, I want to be a musician from the age of however, like seven, eight. Uh, I think they were a little bit surprised by that because like my mum's a doctor. Um, that it's like quite an academic family. And they, my mum was sort of like, are you sure you don't want to be a doctor? And I was like, nope, absolutely not. Um, but as soon as I sort of... I, I was really determined at a very young age that that was the only thing I was going to do. And they just supported me 100%. They encouraged me to keep working, keep pursuing the academic side gently alongside, making sure I got good grades and things as a backup, just in case. Um, but we're like, you want to be a musician? Go for it. And you ended up studying music at Oxford, obviously. Did you find that kind of the academic study of music, how did that change your perception of music and how did it help? It's funny. I'm really glad I did uh, an academic music degree, not least because it gave me three years to figure out who I was a little bit and um, to learn about kind of music as a whole concept. And uh, I, I love playing, but being able to think about these little pockets like uh, we did it, the hip hop module and we did um, music and uh, philosophy and uh, stuff like that all sort of put it into little boxes and went into a lot of detail as I'm sure you do in your degrees as well a lot of detail on these little pockets within the discipline I think I was never going to be a music academic I was like I could just about do it um, but I was never that's not ever something I would sort of have been able to do as as a whole career but what I have found is that now working in classical music broadcasting as well the skills I learned at Oxford, where you're learning a lot about subjects in a very intense period of time, enough to speak knowledgeably about them for your supervision and for the essays and for the exams, and then to push it out your brain and get the next thing in. That is, I think, the biggest thing I've taken away from it, in a way, because, yeah, as a broadcaster, you're having to turn up and to, if you do record review, you're having to learn an awful lot about, let's say, five recordings but then be able to move it out your brain when the next five come in. Um, and I think, yeah, I think that's probably the most useful thing I've taken away into my daily work. Yeah. I think one of the other things I'd say from an outside perspective, I'm not trying to speak for you, but is the ability to communicate about the music and be able to talk about why a certain instrument can be interesting or whatever. What are the biggest things that you're trying to communicate when you're talking about the organ and when you're talking about getting interested in music generally? I think it's the, with the organ, it's the kind of multifaceted experience. It's, it's not just something you hear, it's something you feel. Um, it's this thing of like, actually, if you want to experience the organ, you really need to go and listen in person. Uh, I think that that's the thing I just can't say enough because it's all very well people hearing it on TikTok and being like, wow. But then when you're actually in the room with it, it's like when you see your favorite artist live, right? That's mm -hmm. sort of what it is like just with an instrument um, because it is this kind of 5D uh, experience. And then with music more generally, it's just trying to sort of show people that everyone has a space 
within the classical music world. And I know that, that there can be this thing of like, oh, some people feel they don't belong for whatever reason. And it's like, actually, no, it is a really welcoming place. And let's all just try and think, what can we do to help break down those perceived barriers around it and invite as many people in as possible? Because it's a really cool thing. Classical music is a really cool thing. <laughs> oh, it, it is a really cool thing. I remember when I was 16, I had like my own little classical music playlist, but I thought it was really cool and edgy because like I liked classical music, whereas other people might not have. But um, in any case, I agree that I think it's powerful in that classical music has this ability to to transmit a message without lyrics often and i feel like when you don't have lyrics the the space for interpretation is bigger because you don't have lyrics telling you what you're supposed to think mm. sometimes so i think that's a, sometimes when you just have the instruments it's almost your imagination is able to to take a bit more hold i don't know how you feel about that yeah, definitely. And I think the other side of that, which I find really interesting, is the more I do non-classical shows, the more ideas I get for how we can make classical more appealing um, or if, if to bring in that younger audience. Because when you see, like, I don't know, I did this show with Ray at the Albert Hall a couple of weeks ago, and it's like a full light laser show that goes hand in hand like properly timed with the music. And it is an absolute work of art. And it helps the crowd have a collective emotional experience because the music's showing them one emotion and the lights are helping like instruct that emotional response. And I just think like, gosh, if people are used to that as like the standard show that you go and see live, and then you go and see a classical show where it is, it's like, it can feel more sterile right and it's like the lights are just on the whole time i can totally understand why they might see one as more boring than the other it's interesting this idea of classical music sometimes being perceived as boring or or for example my seven-year-old grandpa used to listen to classical music but like people my age might not listen to it as much and i, I was wondering how through maybe your tiktoks you're trying to to change these stereotypes and what approach you take I mean, with TikTok, it's this like realization that young people, and, and actually not just young people, a lot of people spend a lot of hours on TikTok. And it's, I don't know about you guys, but it's kind of partly how we interact with the world around us now. It's like, if you go to a really good gig, then you post about it on TikTok. And it like you create a community around that one event. And that leads you to another community within TikTok itself. And so I think it's just recognizing that like, if people are spending a significant amount of time there, particularly young people, then we should be making sure that classical music, the organ, um, a sort of nuanced concept of what music and genre is, is finding its way onto their feeds and is something that they stumble across. Yeah, you're super right. But I think it should we should always be careful to keep it as sort of an, an entry point thing. Like, yeah. like you say, with the lights and everything, and it's all, it's, it's super amazing, but the music can also stand on its own, I think. And when we sort of require mm. this immense transcendent experience every time, we don't sort of see the beauty of music as it happens every day and as it can be integrated into our life every day. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think it's viewing all of these things as tools to help just bring more and more people into this, like, the circle that we keep talking about of music um, and then showing them that, as you say, the music speaks for itself. Um, and actually once you're used to it and once you know what, what you're listening to, 
you don't need lights. You don't need to be live streaming it at the same time. You can enjoy it on its own terms. Yeah, I really liked when you were talking about um, in an interview I watched about having an unexpected experience with the organ. And I think the interview with, sorry, the performance with Bonobo is that exact perfect example where in one moment, many people's opinions on the organ might have changed or they might have seen it in a new light just because it comes out of nowhere and has that like, you know, literally shaking the building. And when it was with all that, it was amazing. Yeah, I mean, it was funny. That show, so many people said to me, we just thought that the organ was like, uh, for show at the Royal Albert Hall we thought it was just like a really cool display at the back of the building and so the mo- and apparently a lot of people have been going oh wouldn't it be cool if it was actually playable at that show <laughs> and then at the end of the show it suddenly went Rah! and it had the lighting which played a huge part in kind of emphasizing what was going on with the music um it took on a life of its own on social media afterwards and I still get people coming to my concerts who discovered the organ, discovered me through that one video from Bonobo. And they're coming to their first ever classical concerts and come to concerts where I'm doing Bach with no lighting uh, and with, with no like special effects. They're just there because they, they want to discover more. And I think that literally sums up everything that I'm trying to do in one experience. And I keep being like, yeah, it's possible. It's possible. Amazing. I mean, it's like, not to, um, uh, hopefully you can stay humble after this comment, but I feel like you're the first person to really do this and, and make the organ mainstream in this way, which I find it really powerful. And you've done stuff with Benedict Cumberbatch. You've done stuff now with Bonobo. Is there anything else big collaboration-wise coming? Maybe maybe a Taylor Swift thing? Oh my God, I would die if I did anything with Taylor Swift. <laughs> I think what I love is seeing that like, these uh, incredible musicians, incredible artists, incredible actors, like they respond to the organ just like I do, being like, wow, it's so cool. And I think when you've heard for quite a long time people saying, oh, yeah, but no one really likes the organ. It's a bit boring, blah, blah, blah. It's just so nice to see people responding like that and then thinking, how can we turn this into like a moment um, and uh, an exciting emotional moment together? Um, yeah, I would love to do something with Taylor Swift. The the Ray collaboration was really cool. That was yeah a couple of weeks ago now, um, and she's actually just released the live album from her mm. Albert uh, Albert Hall show, where it, the final track is starting with the organ. And again, that was another one where it was like people screaming for the organ. And two years ago, I would have just laughed in your face if you'd <laughs> said that I'd ever be doing something like that. Yeah, it's amazing just how many people you can bring in through that kind of thing. And I think the other big kind of message that you're pushing is also for 50% of the people already kind of involved in the classical music world with your hashtag play like a girl. And um, I, I was reading somewhere where you were talking about something that kind of inspired it, which is where you were told to play more like a man with authority and power. And I wanted to ask you where exactly you're taking the hashtag in the sense of, do you think we should be asserting a feminine character in music and trying to bring that through? Or do you think that sort of associations of femininity and masculinity should more just be dropped in, in music? I think it, it's more about getting rid of this idea that one's good, one's bad, right? Um, and it's it, 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 play like a girl is drawing on the sports hashtag as well. Um, I think it started in sports, actually. It's this thing I've worked with kids for so many years and the number of times you hear someone saying, oh, you're throwing like a girl, you're screaming like a girl. And it's just like, it's an ingrained thing from a young age, for whatever reason, that doing it like a girl is worse. 
And I just hate that concept. And particularly in a male dominated industry like the organ world and the choral world, I hate the fact that young women thinking about joining that world are hearing for whatever reason or were hearing for whatever reason where you can't possibly be as good because you're female. And it's just trying to basically say to those young women, be proud of who you are, be proud of your identity. Everyone is different. Everyone has a different personality. Everyone has a different character. And that's what you want to come out in your playing. Um, But uh, more than that, it's also just like saying, it's not saying you have to play in a masculine way or a feminine way. It's just play like you (laughs) instead. Mm. Um, And it's, it's it's a complicated one because I think there can be this thing of like, aren't you just deepening gender divides by saying that? Um, and obviously it started as a really tongue in cheek thing that I never thought was going to turn into this massive, like hashtag that uh, that has taken off. Um, but I, I totally stand by the sort of intention behind it of just trying to say to people, be proud of who you are. Yeah. As, as a, as a guy, obviously I don't have the same experience, but I remember when I was about 10 or 11, I went to guitar lessons and, and my guitar teacher told me, Oh, you play like a girl. And and my mom just, my mom flipped. She she just yeah. emailed, she called and she said, you're never going to these to lessons with this guy again. And that was it. Um, but it's just, and that's it's, why I never learned guitar. <laughs> it, it, and also it's just anyone, like a guy can play in a feminine way. A, a girl can play in a masculine way. It's it, the beauty of music is you're constantly kind of um, changing personalities and weaving in different aspects of your own personality to match the the music that you're playing at that point in time. And I think, yeah, this like very reductive idea that masculine playing is playing with power and authority and that is best. I just, I, I took massive issue with that. <laughs> yeah. Does it even, would you say that there is such a thing as, for example, I know your hashtag is play like a girl, but how would you even describe playing like a girl? This is the thing. I don't I don't think like the the incredible female organists throughout history. If you look at Marie Claire Alain or Gillian Weir or Jennifer Bate, I wouldn't say that their playing would be defined by femininity, whatever that means in musical terms. I would say they play bloody well and sometimes that is light and elegant sometimes that is harsh when it needs to be sometimes it's like uh, it feels like you're being punched in the chest and we all have the ability to traverse all of those different kind of emotional states and physical states and that's the joy of being a musician you can kind of put on these different masks when you need to Um, but yeah just reducing it to a question of gender i think it just it doesn't it's not relevant yeah it's definitely reductive i agree um and that's why kind of we need to broaden out music in many ways to a greater audience and that allows people to to break long-standing norms um another way that we saw you you've uh, tried to broaden out music is by going to zambia and doing charity work there can you tell us a little bit about that mm. Sorry, I'm just having a sip of Lemzip. Um, yeah, so I started going there actually when I was an undergrad, uh, when I was in my second year, I think, or my an end of my first year. They This charity, the Muse Trust, basically put out an advert saying, um, we would love to take two Oxford students and two Cambridge students uh, to go to Zambia for a month to teach music. The charity was Oxford-based, which is why it was those universities. Um, and I applied and ended up going and... We were kind of like 
dropped there with a couple of contacts and told off you go. Um, and so it was very much up to us, like what we made of it. And I just completely fell in love with the music, the people, the country, everything about it and have essentially been going back every year since. And the charity is actually now folded, um, but I'm carrying on the work, um, basically taking out different groups of people each year. So mostly it's kind of groups of about four people. Uh, sometimes it's the whole choir from uh, Pembroke in Cambridge. And it's it's just like the most important reminder each year of how incredibly lucky we are or how incredibly lucky musicians in the UK are to even have the option to be a musician. And I know that the musical world is a little bit grim sometimes. And I know that like funding wise is pretty grim at the moment, but like at least we still have the option to be a musician because I see these musicians in Zambia who are just as capable and just as driven and, and want it just as badly, but they're born in a country where being a musician is not a career path. And so they, uh, they they can do it on the side, but they can't do it as their career, which is what they desperately want to do. And so I'm trying desperately to help gently change that and um, produce like income streams uh, where I can, commissioning composers, things like that. Um, ultimately, there's only so much I can do as one person. Um, but yeah, we'll, I hope it's something I want to keep doing forever. We'll see where it goes. Yeah, it makes me curious actually whether you've come into contact with any like non-traditional, non-traditionally Western instruments, maybe whilst you've been out there. I know that the musical landscape might look quite different or are you more in the traditional Western kind of musical world when you're there? It's uh, so I see a lot of non-traditional Western singing, uh, which is like fascinating. And so a lot of uh, with clicking and they uh, uh, often will, I'll be like, please, can I learn? And I, tend to just about get it by the end of the trip and then have to be retaught the next time because I'm so bad at learning. I used to have a speech impediment, so learning things in my mouth, I really struggle with. Um, but yeah, so non-traditional singing, I do encounter instruments a little bit, mostly in a couple of the more rural communities we work in. And it's things like um, guitars that they've made um, and African drums that they've made and things like that. And yeah, it's, it's incredible how resourceful they are. We always try and take out instruments as well. Um, uh, but yeah, it's amazing seeing it, what they can make from just things that they find lying around. Yeah. How is the uh, music technically, sorry, the singing technically different? You said you had to like learn to move your mouth in a different way. How, how different actually so, is that? Um, so in, in many African languages, there's a, a kind of click like that. And that's incorporated mm -hmm. into some of the singing as well. Um, also, a lot of the singing, um, at least in the communities that I was working with, a lot of the singing is much more kind of chesty. So whereas um, we might think more about singing in the head voice, particularly up high, they, there are these incredible women who sing with like a really chesty tone, but really, really, really high up. And then it morphs into ululating which is i'm going to demonstrate it really 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 quietly but it goes like and so they like morph from the singing into that um oh. but also i think the other like big difference that i noticed most when i first took the choir out there was concert culture and so like we had organized to do a concert in a church and we turned up and found that there were five other choirs there and we basically just all took it in turns to sing a song 
And it was like this sharing of musical ideas. And we just kept going round and round and round. And it was like, one more from you, one more from you. And it just turned into this massive <laughs> dance party at the end where we we learned one of the songs that one of the other choirs had been singing. They taught it to everyone in the room and then everyone was just up and dancing. And it's such a like it, it's just such an incredible, like incredible reminder of like what music is about and that it's about sharing and enjoying and having like shared experiences as opposed to one person sitting at the front, everyone sitting quietly and then going, yes, that was good. <laughs> yeah. It must've been insanely touching. I don't know if you have any other cool, cool memories that you could recount from being in Zambia, any um, amazing points when you were teaching and learning. There was a, a family that we worked with this time. Uh, so it's me and my partner who were there this year. And um, it was actually, we, we basically, our plans fell through last minute for one of the days. And I said to a musician I was working with, I said, have you got any ideas of who we could work with for a day? Because uh, we have this, this, this spare time. And he said, oh, you, go to this address. And he just like sent us the pin on Google Maps um, and just said, it's a, it's a great musical family. And we had no idea what to expect at all. And we had this amazing taxi driver who we stayed with for the whole week called Charles. And we were driving, following Google Maps to try and get to this pin. And it took us like through the middle of a rubbish tip. And he was like, where, where are we going? Um, and so this journey was like crazy. And we're thinking, what the hell are we doing? And then we get to this house. It turns out we'd taken the wrong route because Google Maps can't tell the difference between like roads and not roads. Um, and we get there and this incredible group of musicians, kind of, it's like the sort of Von Trapp family equivalent. So the dad is called Don and he's basically just like everything in his life is about trying to give his children musical opportunities. And so he sat down with a list and was like, these are the things I want to learn from you, like how to use social media for marketing, how to sell an album, where should an album go? How do I get an album to a Western audience from Zambia? Like all of these, he'd really like, he'd thought it through and he had this really clear list. Um, and he was like, right, I want to set up a, a music academy in Zambia. How should I go about that? And then they sang to us and he was like, make us better. And I kid, I just, I literally just started crying and was like, I cannot make you better. That you are so brilliant and you have so much personality and individuality that comes out in your singing. Do not let anyone change that because they're just so well blended as a family. And we ended up going back, spending another day with them. And it was, it genuinely felt like life changing. Um, and now, yeah, we're hopefully commissioning. Uh, one of the girls to write some pieces for Pembroke um, because we're tr they have Sibelius, the notation software, um, and they're trying to learn how to use that. So we're going to pair her up with a composer in Cambridge um, and make sure that that's something that by writing the pieces, she can then write it into Sibelius, learn how to use that at the same time and get an income stream from it. And yeah, various other ideas to try and just Whoa. like shine a spotlight on them. Sorry, that was a very well, long-winded way of answering no, that that's, question. No, that's incredible. It's so touching. And I, I think that's really what makes music so so human. I mean, we spoke about AI at the beginning, and I think that's really what's going to always prevail in terms of separating the human from from the from the machine. So that's yeah. amazing. I mean, I'm I'm just wary of the of the time, and I don't want to keep you too long. So before we wrap up, we wanted to just go through like three or four quick quick fire questions, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. Brilliant. Okay, so 
what's what's the most challenging organ piece that you've ever had to learn to date? Um, I used to one of my sort of party pieces for a while, which I actually haven't played for a couple of years now, uh, was the Patrick Gowers Toccata, and okay. I loved playing it, but it was kind of terrifying to perform as well because it's just like an endless stream of semiquavers, and they're kind of in like slightly irregular groups and you just have to basically memorize the entire thing um and if you lose your concentration you're screwed you'll never find your way back in incredible thank you okay second question is one word to describe the sensation of playing at the royal albert hall overwhelming overwhelming okay if you have to choose uh between violin and piano 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 okay Okay, final question is if we should be excited about any future projects coming from your end, anything specific that you guys are working on? Ooh. Trouble is I can't tell you about like Ooh, nine, okay. 90% of 95% <laughs> of them. Um, I have a Christmas uh, EP coming out, which I think I can tell you about probably. Um, although I don't, actually, I don't know if I can tell you about that yet. We can Chloe, do you know if I can? If yeah, maybe, maybe you, can be, you guys can check. Um, <laughs> okay. I can give you two answers. So um, I have a Christmas EP coming out, uh, which was recorded at the Royal Hospital School uh, in Suffolk. And it has Pembroke Choir singing uh, three pieces, including a piece that I wrote, uh, which I am quite terrified to release into the world, but also really excited uh, to hear what people think. Uh, so yeah, that's very exciting. Uh, my other kind of big excitement coming up i guess like it's having a term with the amazing choirs at pembroke and we have so many exciting christmas services and things like that coming up um and you know christmas in college chapels never gets old when you have the completely packed chapels filled with people singing carols and descants and things it's pretty cool beautiful, beautiful. yeah Thank you. that's amazing we always have one at, um we're both at Christchurch. i don't oh, know if you I know. yeah 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 I'm sure you won't know the organist by now just since it's been a couple of years, but that's um that's always an amazing experience. We do the Christmas carols every year, so that's great as well. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So just before we wrap up properly, just wanted to ask you if you have any concluding thoughts or anything you'd like to communicate to our audience about you or about music, just a, a last couple of things. I think I'd just say go and hear an organ in real life. Um, like go and sit in a cathedral when there's a recital going on, go to Evensong, go and just sit and immerse yourself in the music because it is an experience unlike anything else and it will get you totally hooked. I agree. I mean, I love hearing it in real life. It's always 10 times better. Well, Anna, thank yeah. you so much for coming on. This has been the Loaf podcast. Her new album, Luna, is now out. So everybody, please go and listen to that and please go and find some time to listen to the organ in real life.